Welcome to Total Teen Health and Wellness, the podcast for parents of teenagers to learn more about how medical and mental health issues are affecting their teen children. This is Dr. Shauna Garza, and I'm an adolescent medicine physician, providing essential education and helpful guidance to parents of teens and young adults. This podcast encourages parents to empower their teen children to live healthy and balanced lives. Welcome back, everyone. It's Dr. Shauna Garza, your host of Total Teen Health and Wellness. Today is episode 18. I'm going to continue the discussion around sexuality in teenagers. Please go back and listen to episodes 16 and 17. They go over contraceptive care in teenagers and also healthy sexuality. Today we're going to talk about STDs. They're now referred to as STIs, which are sexually transmitted infections, but many parents know this term as STDs. These are not always fun discussions to have with my patients, but it's such important information for them to have so that they can take care of themselves and stay safe. Today, I'm really going to go over how STIs affect female patients, because that is the majority of my practice in adolescent medicine at our office in McKinney. It's very important, again, to review safe sex practices. I talk about this countless times per day and repeat myself with patients, but it's really for them to understand how important I think it is for them to use condoms with every single sexual encounter. We counsel patients to use condoms 100% of the time because we know they're the only way to prevent the spread of infection. I talk to patients about condom use really as a hygiene use, just like they wash their hands, just as we wear masks, just as you even wipe after you go to the bathroom. The idea is to prevent the spread of infection. And so I want them to start their sexual life understanding that that's an essential part of keeping safe. Unfortunately, most STIs are without symptoms or only cause very mild symptoms. And so patients may be exposed to infection without knowing, and they may even transmit infections without knowing. In my practice, I do a lot of what's called screening for disease and illness. And this is just an essential center of preventive care. And in adolescent medicine, that means we are going to be screening for STIs in patients who are sexually active. The goal, of course, is treatment and to prevent the spread, but the goal is also to prevent complications of these infections. And so there are various infections that we screen for in our younger patients, and there are additional infections that can be screened in some of our older patients. So the recommended screening for STIs in sexually active teen and young adult females, these are women under age 25, is to have an annual test to screen for gonorrhea, an annual test to screen for chlamydia, and a one-time test to screen for HIV. Many patients don't know that they need this type of screening, but if they see a doctor like myself and many others that take care of young women, that these type of tests will be recommended and ordered. Again, the reason that we're doing screening tests on patients that may not have any complaints is that they could have an infection and not know, and this with time could lead to complications and definitely can lead to spread of infection to their partners. For females 
over 25 that have certain risk factors, there's even additional testing that's recommended. These are women that may have multiple partners, they may, may not be using condoms consistently, they may have non-monogamous sex or polyamorous relationships. Their risk is higher for being exposed to STIs. And so we do the same screening for gonorrhea and chlamydia, but we also test for syphilis, which is kind of coming back and on the uptick in certain populations. We test for new hepatitis B infections. Many people have had vaccination against hepatitis B, but not everyone has full immunity to hepatitis B, and they could be exposed to this virus through sex. It's also recommended to test all adults for hepatitis C, which can be sexually transmitted. And then also there's an infection called trichomonas, and I'll get into each of these and how they affect patients, but those are things we want to screen some of our adult patients for that are having more than one partner or not using condoms. So I'm going to start off talking about chlamydia. Chlamydia is the number one most common STI, and it actually is the most common infectious disease in the U.S., which I was very surprised to hear. Without treating chlamydia, it can lead to a lot of issues in women. It can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease, which can be very serious, where patients have to be hospitalized, have to have antibiotics, and even surgery. It can lead to infertility. And many of my patients who are 16 and 18 years old are not thinking about how chlamydia can affect them in that regard. But I do want them to understand that having chlamydia, especially when it's re recurrent, can be a very common cause of infertility because it leads to scarring throughout the reproductive tract. And that can definitely affect them once they're at the time in their life where they're wanting to have a family. Again, most patients do not have symptoms. They don't realize they have it. They don't realize they've been exposed. And so then they are spreading that to their partners. If they have symptoms, women can feel kind of crummy. They can have a cervical infection, which can be discharge. It can be abnormal bleeding. Patients may report bleeding after sex. And if patients have that, they do need to be screened for, for chlamydia. And that's with a, an exam to check for the findings of chlamydia infection in the cervix and also with testing, of course. It can mimic urinary tract infection symptoms with burning when they pee, maybe peeing often, or you know, urgency, running to the bathroom. So for any patient of mine who's sexually active and in the adolescent medicine practice, I'm screening them for gonorrhea and chlamydia while I'm screening them for urinary tract infections because it really can be the great mimicker. And if we don't test for chlamydia and a patient doesn't get better after treating a UTI, then we really haven't done the full job of evaluating the patient. Again, it's very easily spread. It's a bacteria that's contagious and often patients get reinfected by their partners. So when I'm seeing one patient, I talk to them about the need for their partner to be evaluated and treated. Otherwise, the infection just goes back and forth. One may clear it and then get reinfected, then spread it back and vice versa. So we really want patients to know they have to be able to talk to their partner about this and say, I've been infected, I'm positive for chlamydia, you need to get treated, we both need to wait to have sex until the treatment is complete, and then hopefully that will be the end of that infection in that relationship. 
When it's a simple infection, we treat it with oral antibiotics. And the more serious infections, as I mentioned, with pelvic inflammatory disease require much stronger treatment and sometimes even IV treatment if patients have to be hospitalized. Patients can have reoccurrences based on reinfection. They can have reoccurrences based on new exposures. The more that they're dealing with this, the more cases of chlamydia that they have, the more complications they can have. We have a lot of protocols we follow when patients are treated. We retest them at certain intervals to make sure that they indeed are negative, that they do not have the infection any longer. That way we know if they're positive in the future, that actually indicates a new exposure or new reinfection with chlamydia. Again, these things can be very distressing for teens. They have lots of questions, lots of worry. Often it may bring some part of their relationship into question. And so we're there to support them and educate them, guide them, and really try to get them the help that they need so that they can be treated and stay safe in their sexual life. There's also gonorrhea, which is also a bacteria, and it really has a very similar clinical picture to chlamydia. Same ideas that many patients don't have symptoms, and if they do, they tend to have kind of vaginal symptoms or UTI-type symptoms, and we diagnose gonorrhea. Now, that treatment also is with antibiotics, and same thing. If it's recurrent or untreated, it can lead to scarring and can lead to infertility and other complications in women. I'm going to move on from that and talk about herpes. Herpes is very easily spread through sexual and intimate contact. In the past, even when I was in medical school, we learned about oral herpes and genital herpes being kind of two distinct viruses and distinct ideas. Now there's a lot of overlap. So patients can have the oral type of what used to be called the oral type of herpes in a genital infection, vice versa. The thing about herpes that really affects patients is there can be shedding of the virus even when they don't have symptoms. The symptoms of herpes are pretty obvious. When you have an outbreak, patients will have lots of pain, they'll have genital lesions, women will have vaginal discharge, they feel bad, they may have some of those UTI-type symptoms and discomforts, but typically we would expect a patient with those symptoms not to be having sex to understand that there's something going on that needs to be treated before they have sex and spread a potential infection. But when patients don't have those lesions and symptoms, they still could be shedding the virus. And so really condoms are so essential to prevent the spread. Patients can feel very bad on their first episode. They can even have fever and feel under the weather and have swollen lymph nodes and all kinds of things that make them feel bad. And so we have treatment, of course, to help them with an antiviral during those outbreaks. And then when patients have recurrence, meaning that that virus flares up again, and let me just backtrack for a minute. This virus, unfortunately, does not have a cure. Once you're exposed to herpes, you always have that virus lingering with the potential of having an outbreak. And that's really hard for a teenager to comprehend and can be devastating. Patients can have grief over being diagnosed with herpes because of the understanding that this is a long-term infection that they have to deal with. So the treatment really is trying to suppress these outbreaks. 
again, there's treatment of the acute outbreak, which can help them feel better. But then there are suppressive treatments where patients have to stay on long-term medicine to prevent outbreaks and also to prevent the spread. It is very, very common for both partners in a relationship to have herpes because it's difficult to prevent the spread unless each partner is committed to using condoms and preventing any intimate contact without a condom. So again, herpes in teenagers and young people can be very hard for them to manage. And, you know, again, in my work, we offer support and guidance and trying to get patients the help they need to get them through these times and for them to also learn practices that are going to keep them healthy and safe. There's also an infection called trichomonas, which is not as common in the population that I serve, but is seen in teens and definitely is seen in young people. And it really causes a vaginitis, meaning there's vaginal infection. Patients often think they're having a yeast infection or something similar where they have discharge, pain, burning, irritation. They can also have urinary symptoms, like I mentioned, and that can um, be treated with antibiotics. And untreated, it also leads to complications. So patients may have long-term infections or they don't recognize that the discharge and symptoms they have is abnormal. And so that can lead, again, to scarring and infertility and even pelvic inflammatory disease. So as you can see, there's lots of things that can affect teens once they start having sex, especially if they're not having safe sex. Um, there are additional infections that we need to screen for and possibly be aware of. But thankfully, in teenagers, they're not as common, at least in the population that I serve. And I'll just mention them here. Um, HIV, again, it's recommended to screen all patients one time for HIV, but thankfully I'm not seeing HIV-positive patients in my office. But there are different populations with different risk factors that do have a higher risk of that. Hepatitis B is a sexually transmitted infection, and most of my patients have been fully vaccinated against hepatitis B and hopefully have immunity to protect them. Hepatitis C is more common with patients with certain lifestyle risk factors and thankfully is not affecting the patients I work with. And there is no vaccine against hepatitis C because that's just not something that's been developed. And so if patients are exposed, there is treatment that can be helpful, but we don't really have another way to prevent that infection besides safe sex practices and avoiding other ways of coming in contact with hepatitis C. And lastly, I mentioned syphilis, which is a disease that's diagnosed with blood tests and can affect patients in all kinds of ways. It can have effects within the body and untreated can lead to a lot of complications. So in this episode, I really want this to be a wake-up call to parents and to teenagers to understand that there is real risk of STIs when they're having sex and that safe sex is the only answer to prevent infection. Parents, if you feel like this is useful information that you might want to share with your teen or young adult child, please do that. I hope that this would help guide them and what things they need to be talking about with their doctor, what things they need to be tested for, and again, how to stay safe. I look forward to next time with you.
Thanks for listening today. If this episode helped you better understand the health of your teen and you're ready to learn more, please subscribe to hear future episodes of this podcast. Consider sharing it with other parents of teenagers. And remember, parents can help their teens live healthy and balanced lives.